Step into the mic today, the first Washington football team playoff game in five years. Chris Miles, Ted Jeffries, and the one, the only, Brian Mitchell. So, B. Mitch, uh, since you're the former player here, let's start with you. And it's still hard for me not to say the name of the team. Like, I did it right there, and I was going to introduce you as a former player. You see what I mean? It's just I, I don't know what to do with that yet. Hopefully we get a new name to, to go uh, so we give you guys some more of your identity back. But last night, uh, great game by the Washington football team. Uh, they were in it with one of the greatest quarterbacks of all time, and the biggest buzz was Taylor Heineke. I mean, he went toe-to-toe, throw-for-throw with Tom Brady, and I don't think that's an overstatement. Hey, even a miraculous run getting into the end zone. So uh, this team, the quarterback position, has been something that's been questioned for, I don't know, 10, almost 15 Mm -hmm. years now, maybe even longer. Has he stepped into a position now with the way that he performed last night to be considered uh, for the starting job next year? Well, I think he stepped into uh, – he did something to make sure he's going to be a name in that box. I don't think out, off of one game you just give somebody the, uh, the, the starting job. Uh, you know, I've always said to people, you know, after one game, after one year, I'm still like, can you give me more? Because the thing about this game is about consistency. And uh, Taylor Heineke, he looked apart last night. I think you go back and you start looking at it in college, he looked apart, you know. People look at his size and a lot of people in the NFL, if you don't look a prototypical way, they don't give you an opportunity. But this young man performed well enough to where if he's not on this team's uh, radar, he's going to be on somebody else of the 31 out there. And he talked about, you know, preparing always to be a starter. We get opportunities in this life. And if we're not ready for those opportunities, we realize that the amount of opportunities don't come uh, anymore. So the mere fact that he went out in this game against Tom Brady with the with the playoffs there where everything is a little bit more heightened and played that well I think he should be somebody that they look at because I want to see competition I don't care what position is that I want to see competition you know B Mitch one of the things you said as far as being the team that found him uh, we got to give credit where it's due and we always knock teams when they don't do a good job uh, when they mess up a first round quarterback, i.e. in Dwayne Haskins. But Scott Turner, the offensive coordinator, was the only person that recruited Heineke uh, or went in and scouted him at ODU. Then he brought him to Minnesota, brought him to Carolina, now brought him to Washington. So when he gets this opportunity, he's very familiar with this offense. They have that kind of relationship for the Washington football team to have put that much work into figuring out a guy that could work for them. What does that tell us going forward uh, about this group that they have right now, in particular, Scott Turner? Well, in this day and age with all of the, the stats and the sabermetrics and all those different things, you know, it still comes down to the eye test and being able to put your hands on somebody and talk to them. And all of a sudden, there are these coaches when once they see somebody, they don't let them go. You know, and I think this is what happened with Scott and then when it comes up to Taylor, where he saw this kid and he said, okay, he's not the prototypical size, but this guy just seems to get it done. And I think when we look, we go right down to that bayou, the New Orleans. And you look at Drew Brees, he's not the prototypical size. He doesn't seem to have the same arm strength, but the guy can think a game, you know, and he still is a fiery competitor and he makes things happen. This kid comes in and he can move around some too, which his legs helped him out tremendously. And I think ultimately that's the thing people look at. When you see somebody 
and you watch them with your own eyes, that eye test sometimes goes way farther than whatever the computer can tell you, whatever uh, the stats of what you think somebody's supposed to look like can tell you. Hell, I was a punt returner. They normally were anywhere from 178 to about 195. I played it at 216, 220. My numbers speak for themselves. I wasn't prototypical. And I just think that that's the thing about it where you have to sit there sometimes and watch it happen. I watch games with people and they tell me what pro football reference says and focus or whatever. I don't care. My eyes tell me that that dude right there is getting his ass kicking that game. You know, I don't want to tell him like, oh, he, he had a great grade on pro, pro football reference, pro football focus. Who cares? He lost that football game because my eyes told me he was laying on his back and the other guy wasn't. See, Mitch, uh, you know, the game was such magnitude and the guy like uh, Hinky that was there for just a short period of time, were you surprised that he was asked to do so much in the game yesterday? Well, I wasn't surprised because when he came in against uh, Carolina, I think it was, you can see that he had a, a grasp and a whole of, of the concept of what they wanted to do. And I think the thing about him is that's the same offense that Alex Smith ran, okay? I want people to understand what I'm trying to tell you. We were praising Alex Smith, and Eric, but the people that were watching the game was like, all he's doing is dumping off. Alex drew a lot of behind the line, five-yard, maybe 10-yard passes. This kid comes to the game running the exact same offense. Why is it that he was able to throw the ball down the field, constantly push it down the field, and if his receivers didn't let him down, we don't know how this thing could have happened. He had passed, a deep pass earlier was dropped. Another two that were dropped. So this, the thing about his concept and his understanding of this offense is way beyond anybody I've seen run it this year. You think yeah, that's a, uh, when you talk about uh, that comparison of Alex Smith, was it a, a, a function of him not being as mobile because of the injury, because of the legs, 17 surgeries, and having to get the ball out of his hands quick? Just so, look, let's, let's just get you moving the ball down the field, get the ball out your hands so we avoid, you know, whatever, the lack of mobility, which you can see in contrast, that's what Taylor uh, Hickey well, the, had. The mobility, yes. But still, looking down the field, taking those chances. You know, I think when you look at some people are conservative quarterbacks. Some quarterbacks don't take those chances. And y'all and y'all both know the term, scared money don't make no money. You go to Vegas and you're playing on a penny slot, you're not going to make no money. But what if you happen to play the $100 slot? What if you have to go to, you know, a high roller uh, uh, craps table or something? You may win something, but you can also lose something. I think that's the thing right there. You watch Tom Brady. Is he mobile? Not mobile at all. Tom Brady was a statue in that pocket last night, but he knows how to step up, move around in the pocket. That's the same thing Alex could have done. It's just that, what's your mindset? Is your mindset, I'm going to just take this what they give me all day. You're playing into the hands of a defense if you just take what they give you. But eventually it's like, okay, well, I'm going to push it down the field because even if you throw one deep and you don't complete that, they know you will go deep. So they have to sit back just a little bit, which helps you out in the long run. Yeah, B. Mitch, um, you mentioned something that I thought was really interesting about the difference in what we saw between Alex Smith and Taylor Heineke, but also in Dwayne Haskins and just looking at the quarterback situation going forward. I look at it like this. Okay, now you have one of the two guys you'd want on your roster, right? Mm -hmm. Do you think that they, A, need to go get a veteran uh, because this team's window just opened um, to try and, and win a championship because it's been, what, 30 years since we've even had that conversation? Mm -hmm. Or do you think they need to go in the draft and, and get another rookie and a young guy, let him develop, 
and maybe give the keys to Heineke to start a season and, and have the rookie as a backup. What do you think is the best approach from what you've seen from Heineke and what you've seen in this organization the past couple of years? Well, I think right now what we can see in this organization is that it's not being run the way it used to be run. You see more stability right now. You see a coach-centric approach, and the guys seem to believe in their coach. Uh, and I think ultimately for me, uh, I played quarterback in high school and college, but I still consider quarterback the most dependent position in all of sports. Okay, we could talk about Tom Brady, we could talk about Joe Montana, but look at what they had around them all that time. You know, on the other side of the ball, when Tom was uh, in uh, New England, and then you look at Joe too, they had defense that could give them the ball back, give them more opportunity with some playmakers. So when I look at uh, a team like this, the defensive side of the football, they have the makings of what they need to be a championship team, the front. Okay, now I think if you get a, a much stronger linebacker, middle linebacker, somebody who's a playmaker, like a Devin White who didn't play in that game uh, against uh, Tampa, or you get somebody else maybe in the secondary, or I'm okay with the secondary, to be honest with you. I look at uh, New, New York when they beat New England in the Super Bowl. Their secondary was god-awful, but their front was busting quarterbacks in the head to where they, their secondary looked very good. Now come to the offense. They still need somebody on the left side to be that left tackle consistently. You know, you may still need a left guard, okay? You, you strengthen your offensive line. Now you can play with a Heineke. You can play with a Kyle Allen. And you can probably have a rookie that could come in and build. It doesn't have to be a first rounder. And I think that's the thing people have to understand. We're looking for these top 10 <clears throat> first round picks. That mean that your team was horrible the year before. And not normally do you get a quarterback coming out of college to take a team to another level. Hell, Aaron Rodgers, okay? He was the last pick in the first round. Drew Brees was picked in the second round. Tom Brady was picked in the sixth round. Just think about that. If you if you have the opportunity to go out there and build your team around it, it takes less pressure off the quarterback. So instead of seeing a young guy, I don't care who he is, come out of college, go to a team and have to be Superman, he can step in and be a part of it instead of trying to be the major part. Trevor Lawrence, he's going to end up at some horrible team. And we're going to start questioning him for a little bit. It's guaranteed. If you have an opportunity, um, if you're the Washington football team and you got a guy like Sam Darnold who's out there, Matthew Stafford, uh, do, do the Redskins have the requisite pieces and, and or draft picks to trade to get a guy like that who's proven gunslinger doesn't, you know, probably more so in, in Stafford than Darnold, but, you know, guys with definite skills that may add to this program. Uh, uh, Stafford is one I would try and go at Donald. I'm not so sure on him at this point. Uh, but the thing about Stafford, that's a 30 plus million dollar salary. Okay. Mm -hmm. And I think a lot of times what happens is you watch the teams that make the major steps is when that guy, when you have a quarterback on a rookie contract, okay, where they're not making that 30, 40 million, like it's going up to 40 million a year now, when they're not making that major boatload, you could get enough pieces around them that it helps them out. But as soon as you see those quarterbacks take that major step up, you start seeing other positions be weakened. And when those positions start to be weakened, we find out, yeah, we focus on the quarterback. We give them a lot of praise, but they damn sure can't win a game by themselves. So in my book, the way I would try and build it, I would go out there and try to make my positions of need, D-line, O-line, a legitimate linebacker. In this day and age, you need a, you need a tight end. 
You need some have some receivers. And I would take I would take a above average quarterback rather than having a superb quarterback if I'm trying to build it to something. Then all of a sudden, you know, when some of those other guys start to move on and you got the guys who've been following them, and hey, now we got a position to pull in somebody. You may do that because I think that quarterback with that experience may take one of those teams a little bit farther, you know, even more when they start to drop off in other positions. For the first time in about six weeks, Chase Young did not look like the absolute best player on the football field. I mean, we got spoiled with six straight games of that, but he's also facing a Tom Brady team that I count four future Hall of Famers and a possible fifth if his career plays out that way. Tom Brady, uh, Mike Evans, of Rob Gronkowski, Antonio Brown, there's the four. And then Chris Godwin has a talent, hasn't put up yeah. the stats with a career yet. But if they continue playing like this, he's going to get his first notch under that belt. Um, they, you know, had more than 200 yards of offense, more than the Washington football team had been given up all season. So from a learning perspective, this young defensive unit, like you were just saying, is good to great. How do they get to a place where, okay, we've been really good all season, but when we face that guy and mm-hmm. those kinds of players, we can still be dominant. How do they get there? Well, it's like uh, th- that guy knew what they were doing before they were doing it. And the, 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 the key to that guy is four guys have to be, you know, some badasses where they're going to beat the offensive line consistently and you drop for a seven back. I talked with Kurt Warner uh, last week on my show, and that's what he said. He said, when guys were able to put pressure with four and drop seven, it's tougher because all those holes that you expect to open up, they don't. But when you start blitzing someone, you know, they know that the holes are going to open. And if you don't get home, then all of a sudden I have a chance to make the big plays against you. Now, what happened last night, what I saw consistently was we have the two young guys in Montez Sweat and also Chase Young. Later in the game, Montez ends up with a sack. And in that game, that was one of the first times I saw Chase Young go up and under. And I saw Tom Brady couldn't step up. So now he has to start to move laterals. Tom Brady's not running away from my grandmother, okay? And, and now Montez ran behind him and got the sack. Then later on, you saw an unbelievable move by Deron Payne where he just got skinny. And that's saying a lot, but Deron Payne getting skinny. He was able to <laughs> slap him and get up the field right in Tom's face. And you know what Tom Brady does when he see off color? He goes down. He doesn't throw the ball away too much because he, you know, sometimes if he can't get nothing on it, he's going to just take the sack. He'll live to play another day. They have to uh, add to their repertoire, you know, and I think I, I, every year someone is drafted. You might have heard me say this before, Chris, where I'm always like, listen, this is a young man with great talent, but he's playing a grown man, okay? You got guys in this league that's been around for a long time, and one move is not going to beat them. Unless that guy is injured or something, you're not going to beat him with one move. And I saw guys just doing this, doing this. And what do we say? Any quarterback is going to be affected by pressure up that's coming up the middle. Well, you wasn't getting pressure up the middle at first. So what Tom Brady did, all Tom Brady did was step up. You saw Sweat go by. You saw, you saw Young go by. He stepped up and delivered. And the thing about it is the secondary wasn't completely playing there. I watched uh, uh, Jimmy Moreland playing against tight ends, and the tight ends were running away from him. Why? Because he was hesitant in the breaks. I don't care what tight end is in this league. They should not be able to get in and out of a break quicker than your cornerback. And they were able to do that last night because of the hit. When you're hesitant, then you're going to have problems on the football field. 
B. Mitch, you're a confident, uh, confident guy, confident in what you were able to do on the field. What did you think about Chase Young's comments prior to the game about, you know, his looking forward to getting at Tom Brady and then subsequently coming up short at the end of the game? You know, I, I don't have a problem with it. The thing about it is, uh, and when he explained it further, he's like, look, man, I've been growing up. Wanting, I, when I got drafted, I wanted to tackle and get after the best of them out there. You know, I know people, we talk about, uh, uh, what is it called, bulletin board material. Bulletin board material is not only made by players. It's made by coaches. It's made by people in your media. It's made by, you know, all your fans, everything else. And when he said it, you know, people are going to say, oh, you think that Chase Young saying, I'm coming at you, Tom Brady, made Tom Brady change the way he approached things? Tom Brady was going to approach that game the same way he was anyway. You know, I did a little thing. I did a thing on my radio show called, you know, the opening kickoff where I'm giving a monologue of something that, that, that is like eating at me. And the thing I was saying is people have to understand you have to be who you are. Okay. If you're a guy who can talk and perform, you do it. Because when you fail, people are going to say something. But the next time you got to be the same person you were before. You can't change who you are just because others think you should. Tom Brady did not need Chase Young to say anything to get ready. And Chase Young, if that's who you are, brother, keep being that person. Because if you try to become the meek person, not, not say anything, you're not going to be living up. I said this, if Ryan Kerrigan had said it, I would have been saying, what the hell is going on? Because Ryan Kerrigan doesn't talk. Chase Young has been a guy saying all types of stuff all year. But ultimately, when you say that now, people are saying, what you going to do? But could some of his teammates have helped him a little better? You know, when he was coming around the edge, could they have pressure up the middle to where Tom couldn't step up, where he might have gotten home? You see what I'm saying? So I would say keep being who he is because, you know, I sit up here and tell y'all, oh, a guy shouldn't be talking trash and shouldn't be saying nothing. I would be being the biggest hypocrite in the world because I talked a lot of it, believe me. You still doing your post playing days, man. <laughs> I tell you that much. You know, TJ, uh, funny story about B Mitch. <laughs> Uh, when I was first getting to know him, he's in the newsroom. And now, B. Mitch, I, I don't know, man. I think he's between 5'10 and 6 feet. Really can't measure it up, but he's a strong dude overall. And he's like, Chris. I'm like, what's going on, man? He's like, you think you can get past me? And I'm like, what is he doing? He's like standing in the hallway by the cubicle. And he does this thing where, like, he thinks he's, you know, on the field where, like, he's going to either you're the defensive end or he's the, the offensive tackle. You got to get by him. I was like. I'm going to go to the bathroom real quick. <laughs> I'm like, no, like, because I guess he gets challenged in that way by guys that will say, oh, I'm faster than you. I'm bigger than you. But so it, it's interesting to hear him talk about the offensive lineman and defensive lineman. They're like, this dude returned kicks. What does he know about that? A lot. B. Mitch knows a lot about all of these aspects of football. And speaking of which, this total offense, uh, you were saying about, you know, the, the quarterback position and, and how we all feel a little bit better about it. What about the receiver position? Because you mentioned some of those drops and mm -hmm. I've said it, I said this before the season and I think it's the other way around. I thought Terry McLaurin was a great like second receiver option. Now he's clearly a good one. Yeah. But after that, um, it, it, whatever quarterback you bring in here, like you said, the, the left tackle, left guard, I think receiver has to be addressed. And I think they've missed that in the past couple of drafts um, where you can go look at players and look at who they drafted and who they could have had to do that for days. But I, I think the time is now to go get one or two receivers in the draft. What do you think of that assessment? 
I agree. I think, you know, you look at Terry McLaurin and he's a consistent person, but you can see he was a little hampered down the stretch too with that high angle sprain. Uh, the both of the Sims, okay, they have been guys that come in and help you. And I think they're guys that could be those backups, you know, your three and things of that nature, but they're both inconsistent. And I think that's the thing where guys have to understand. What's the guy that just won the uh, Heisman Trophy? It's Smith from uh, uh, oh, Fonte. Amy, Louisiana. Just want to say that. That's a Louisiana guy right there. Okay. Then why he didn't go to LSU? That's what I want to know. Hey, you know, it, we, sometimes we don't have enough. We, we have too many people in one spot. We got to go somewhere else. <laughs> but what happens is this. That kid after practice is catching 100 to 200 passes a day. Some of these other guys need to learn how to do that, even in the NFL. In the NFL, it's your job, okay? In college, you go to school and you play football and you find time to catch 100 balls. That means that you have set up your schedule where you are making sure that what's important to you is being utilized. Okay, a lot of guys in the NFL, they're not doing that. We can watch them on the football field and see it, you know? And I think ultimately, Steven Sims, Cam Sims, both of those guys, your inconsistency is going to be something that people are going to never, ever let you get to the point where you want to be. They have to learn to work at their game. But ultimately, you have to get somebody else next to Terry McLaurin because that kid is an unbelievable find. You draft him in the third round. You say, oh, he's the best special teams player in the draft. And he has become that receiver. You cannot let that go to waste because, like, like you talk, isn't there, it hasn't been many times that Washington has gone and found a guy that plays at a first-round level that was drafted somewhere else. Normally, they draft first-rounders that don't play at a third-round level. You get what I'm saying? <laughs> so you got somebody now. Don't let that go to waste. They got to get somebody else to be a tag team with him so he can do some unbelievable things out there. Yeah, the third-rounders, Jordan Reed, Antonio Gibson, Terry McClellan. Matter of fact, just trade the first-rounders every year. <laughs> Next third-round pick, TJ. They yeah. got two third-round picks this year. So my eyes on that third round, uh, again, this this uh, this draft. Yeah, real quick, uh, B Mitch, you know, you mentioned earlier a tight end. Logan Thomas, from a cursory perspective, looks like he had a, you know, a, a great year, Pro Bowl caliber year, at least from our, you know, our uh, biased eye here as a Washington football team fan. You know, do you think they need a complimentary uh, tight end and, you know, to help him out, have the two tight end kind of offense, or is he good enough? Well, he's good enough, but still, you always need one. You had Gronkowski on the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, but they also have Cameron Bray, okay? So, right. and the thing about it is, the best blocking tight end on Tampa Bay is Gronkowski. Mm -hmm. The best receiving tight end is Gronkowski. So, you look at Logan Thomas, a guy who's willing to be that blocker, willing to go out there and catch pass, willing to do the dirty work. And as a former tight end, I'm mean, a former quarterback, I pull for him even more. Right. You know, kid has shown his toughness his willingness, and he can run routes. And once he catches the ball, he can do, he do something with it. So if you get another guy who comes in, it can also be that guy. Now when you put two, like last night, they ran a three tight end set and had some success. You know, if they were to get somebody else that can put that fear in the side of a defense, they won't be able, like a lot of times you watch some of these teams today, they put their receivers out there, you're just worried about them. They put tight ends, you're worried about them. When Washington put tight ends out there, they worried about Logan. If you worry about more than one of them, then it makes it makes you able to dictate to the uh, defense. And I think they need to go and get somebody. I think what Ron did this year was bringing a lot of guys who he thought he could be, be legitimate core guys. You know, guys that as you go forward, they could be parts of your team. But a few of these guys have said, hold on, coach. 
I don't want to just be a core guy. I'm going to be a part of us moving forward. Now he can go out there and possibly get somebody else like that because he got a lot of guys that were hungry. A lot of guys that were not proven where nobody had given a chance and they proved it to McKissick, okay? Logan, Thomas. If you maybe find somebody else like that that you can get that same effort from or go and get somebody else at the position that can ball and you have them, both of those guys, on very reasonable contracts. That's the great thing about it. So I, I think Logan could be it, but you need somebody else out there that's going to also be able to put some fear because what if he gets nicked up? You don't want a... a a huge portion of your offense to be gone because he's not a he's not a uh, healthy and ready to be out there. Ron Rivera, coach of the year. I think it's a possibility because of what he's done, you know. Uh, but you know, there's some other coaches out there who won tons of games, and you know, I think everybody looks at the fact when you have someone that's uh, you know a lot of skill. Oh well, he's supposed to win. It's harder to deal with egos than non-egos. Believe me. Yeah, I thought with uh, Coach Rivera and the narrative of beating cancer during the season, this team start two and seven, that that narrative is going to maybe help push and even be com being competitive in this wild card game. Because when you look at the final score, it always felt like TJ, man, this game is close, but you always felt like the Bucks were going to win. But still, I, I think the Washington football team was highly competitive and that's kudos to Ron Rivera. Yeah, I absolutely looked at that game and I had to ask myself, you know, I was looking at our defensive line so much made up about, you know, how we've been able to get, you know, uh, to the quarterback this year. I think that we were ranked six in the NFL, you know, coming into this game. And they just seemed pedestrian last night with the exception of a few plays that B. Mitch has already talked about. You really wanted to see more out of Chase Young. You know, ultimately, I, I had to ask myself, was it, was Tampa Bay that good? Or we, did we just not, were we not able to, do what we needed to do. Um, and that's the question I left myself. B. Mitch, how would you rate, you know, that performance last night for the D-line versus the offensive line of Tampa Bay? I think it's a combination to where <clears throat> they had so many weapons to where you couldn't do a lot of what you may have wanted to do. And then the thing about him, they had a guy at the helm where he knew what you were trying to do. Not only were they protecting him well, Tom gets the ball out of his hands rather quickly. Okay. Right. And he didn't have one receiver to throw it to. He had three legitimate receivers. He had two tight ends that were playing outstanding. And then you're having the time to, to move the ball down the field. You know, I think what happened in that game early on, Kendall Fuller, Ronald Darby were playing well, you know, but over time, you know, I saw one play where I think it was uh, Antonio. He went, he ran like an out and up wide open. I saw another play where I think break kind of went like a little out and up open again some miscommunication began to happen. And I think, you know, when, when you're playing sports, I don't care if you're playing golf, you're playing tennis, if you're consistently doing the good things, you consistently make a par. The other guy got to make a birdie to beat you. So what do they start doing? They start trying a little harder. They're trying to make birdie. Then they make double bogey or bogey. You know, so in this game, Tom Brady, you're trying something against him, boom, he's just getting a par. He's getting a par. Now you got to, I want to do something else. I'm going to try to confuse him. And then all of a sudden, bam, he got a birdie on you. You know why? Because you made that mistake. Or, or he could make a bogey and still beat you because you made a double bogey. The whole thing about it is they played against a guy that when you made a mistake, he made you pay for it. Yeah. You know, B. Mitch, that statement you just said, made a mistake, then you pay for it. Um, there seems to be some controversy surrounding 
Taylor Heineke, okay, as great as he was, and in, in, it looks like this team should be considering uh, moving forward with him. We know what, what happened in the past year in the District of Champions here in Washington, D.C., with um, politically, you know, people storming the Capitol, which sounds crazy, but that's uh, what happened with riots across the country dealing with race. And, well, Taylor Heineke, uh, while at Old Dominion, apparently had some tweets um, that would be rather offensive to, to some of the players on the team to say it uh, lightly. But I just also saw this from Tory Smith that said, quote, um, Taylor Heineke doesn't support uh, anarchy and Trump. He was ignorant when it came to understanding the protests and riots and when everything was happening. His perspective was trash. I actually had a conversation with him about it on the phone. And this is where, like, before you react, you have to get all the information. That's real journalism, right? Um, hearing that from Tory Smith, I, I kind of want to hear from you in the sense that I do actually agree with him. When I look at the tweets have all been deleted. Uh, you look at Taylor Heineke's Twitter. It's like had, there's nothing bef after 2015. Mm -hmm. It's all from five years ago because I think, one, he's a bit embarrassed by it. Two, he understands that the quarterback position can't really have that controversy out there, even if he does feel that way. Uh, mm -hmm. In the locker room, though, we see how much love he gets from Chase Young and all those guys. Do you think that this off-the-field issue can become uh, something that they have in that locker room, or is it, you know, much to do about nothing? I think the fact that it's been five years, it'll probably be a much to do about nothing, but I think there's going to be some guys that are going to want to understand and hear from him exactly where his mind is. Uh, as I've said many a times, I don't want nobody to judge me based off of my college days, <laughs> you know, and uh, although he's a little closer still to his college years, uh, we all do some rather stupid things in college. We get caught up in certain groups and we, we basically are still living based off of what we've been taught from our parents, you know, so if that's something that he learned and now he's changed and moving forward, you know, I think you're going to always have somebody who's keen enough. Like I would have been the guy in the locker room sitting back, just trying to see, or is he really the person he's presenting to us now? Or is he trying to fool me and still be the other person? And then after a certain amount of time, I'm gonna have to stop judging him based off of what happened before. Because I think, you know, we've all made some level of mistakes in our lives. And we find out that if you're consistent in going against it or going the other way, people are gonna start believing that now you've changed and you became that person. But, you know, you get the people that say, well, man, I deserve a second chance. And then they make the same mistake. Well, I deserve a second chance. Now, you got a third chance now, buddy. And I think that's the ultimate thing. But Taylor, Taylor, I think now finds out, and I think anybody else that's listening or look at this, uh, this uh, podcast, when you start to get do something well in life, there's somebody waiting to bring out your junk. Because so we never you, heard about this before. Yeah, there you go. So if you are intelligent enough, realize this, everybody don't have to make mistakes. Like my dad always told me, he said, I made mistakes so you don't have to. So if I was just listening to my dad, a lot of things I did and got, I would have never had to do it. But people have to understand that your parents, your people before you, even some of your teammates are gonna tell you things that may keep you out of some trouble, not today, but later on. And especially in this day and age, we're on uh, Zoom right now. You got this thing called social media. It doesn't go away, okay? So you can't make that mistake. Like I might've wrote something or said something and then all of a sudden 
I forgot about it and other people forget about it in, year, in weeks or so, in years. Whatever you've done, somebody can find it. You know, we got people hacking into all types of uh, mainframes and different things that we have going on with cyber, all the cybersecurity stuff. They can find out anything that you've done. So, hey, let's try to learn to not make those mistakes, especially stuff of this nature. Things are too volatile. People are losing lives because of stupidity and things of that nature. So if you don't understand things of that nature, I'll say to Taylor Heineken, any damn body else on that team, Jack Del Rio as well, because he said some stuff early on. You have to, if you're in a public uh, position and you're not the main guy, you keep your opinions to yourself because Ron Rivera is the head coach of that football team. And any other coach or player that's going out there saying something, you can't. Ron talks about political stuff a lot, but he doesn't sit up there and say, well, I, I don't like this, I don't like that. No, I believe that it should be a democratic process and everybody should have the same rights. And I think no one has a problem with what he's saying, but when you start sitting up here, making it to like, well, you're taking one side or the other, you condemning this, that, you're gonna have problems. So Taylor, Jack, anybody else that got those political aspirations or mindsets, Shut the hell up and coach and play football. I'll tell you what, Herm Edwards and his saying, just don't hit send, kind of rings right now is some of the most valuable, you know, uh, information or, uh, you know, wisdom that anybody could use in this day and age um, when you talk about you know, some of the mistakes. At the end of the day, B. Mitch, you know, Chris, you, myself, B. Mitch, we all play the team sport. You know, we look at, <clears throat> excuse me, Chase Young last night, pointing to the back of Heineken's jersey. You know, information that's out there, what do guys, I mean, do we really care when it comes down to wins and losses, whether this guy supports Trump or, you know, supports whoever, uh, or does it matter about wins and losses? Can, can you help me win a game? It, so, matters more, it matters more about wins and losses, but I think ultimately at this point now, and I think what people really, it's not, I don't think it's necessarily the supporting Trump. I think it's supporting some of the things he's pushed because there are some people out there who voted that way and went that way because they know he was gonna protect their money, okay? Yeah. But there are some things he did along the way where people are like, okay, what, what, what was your mindset? Are you supporting this part or are you supporting that? Because if the guy was making a move based off his money, I think any one of us would say, oh, we understand a little bit. And some of us may not. But if it's because of the stuff he was pushing out there, the racist agenda that seemed to be there, that would be a major problem. Mm -hmm. But ultimately it's gonna come down to, can you help me win football games? Cause I've been in a locker room with a lot of people and I knew their upbringings, I knew where they came from. I knew some of the way that they thought. But once you get into a game and I gotta depend on this person, I'm not thinking about that. I'm thinking about, is he gonna get his assignment correct? Is he gonna catch this ball if I throw it to him? Mm -hmm. uh, is he going to block my backside when I was a quarterback? I wasn't know that my tackle was going to block on the backside. Right. And I think that's how it goes. And I think when people I always tell people, you can look at sports. We always say like, you know, tell people to stick to sports, stick to sports. Sports, if life was depicted based off of sports, you deal with people from all races, all religions, all different backgrounds, and everybody seemed to work in unison. You mm -hmm. find a common goal. This is the United States of America. Why can't we seem to do that? And we should find the people who are not trying to make this thing move in a, in, a, in a positive manner. And that's the people you extract, you know, because if we're trying to be the best nation in the world, we need everybody. 
And I think that's the ultimate thing. You know, when you start looking at it, anybody out there in politics that want to tell people just stick to sports, well, maybe you should start learning a little bit about sports because I have not seen more people of different cultures become so damn tight. Think about some of the people that played back in the 60s and the 50s and the 70s who are magnificent friends today because of a sport. They, I'm sure they saw things differently, you know, but look what they found because of this sport. Once you begin to find out the inner, to inner workings of a person and what they deal with, you find out, I don't care what color you are, what religion you are, where you're from, we all deal with the same issues. And if we start learning that a little bit more about people, instead of just judging them by what they look like, what they think like, what they, how they say, how they uh, say something or sound, then we'll realize that we're fighting a bunch of BS. We got people out there who I believe are afraid and lazy, and they don't want to see anybody else became to come up because they don't want to work harder. Okay, they don't want to go. They're, they're afraid that well, that person. If, they, if we equal, I'm gonna lose. Well, you're supposed to lose if we equal. If I'm gonna work harder than you. So how about everybody just start working a little bit harder, you know, and believing a little bit more in myself. Too many people don't believe in themselves. They think to hold somebody else down is going to benefit them. In the long run, it's going to hurt you too. Preaching on a Sunday, B. Mitch. <laughs> Thank you well. for stepping Mike. <laughs> he took us to church, church yeah. team. Yeah, That's did. what just happened. Um, yeah, thanks for stepping to the mic. Always a pleasure having you. And hopefully, you know, there are playoff games in the future that we're talking about. And it's not another five-year drought. I think this team has something uh, they, they're putting together that, that feels special. B. Mitch, appreciate you stepping to the mic. All right, man. Anytime.